are, those are pretty cool. They will be on the back tables, actually, in the back of the room, so that's where you can grab them after the service. Today, I just want to tell you, sometimes, some weeks are tougher than others. And this week, as I was getting ready to, to think about, God, what do you want to say to us on Sunday morning? It was more of a struggle than normal. And some, I think that could be for a couple reasons. One could be just, I'm, I'm a pretty weak guy, and some, sometimes, there's, you know, it's, it's a tough week. And sometimes it can be also just there's something important that there's resistance in, in trying to get to. And I, I believe both of those things are true, that I am weak, and also I believe that, that God has something for us that the enemy doesn't want us to get. And so I, just, I want to encourage you all to really open up your hearts and even help me. If you can pretend you're an African-American church or something and like give me some amens, oh mys, you know, interactions, that, that would be awesome. Um, but we're talking about, this is a unique title. The message today is about don't be an atheist. There we go. I like it. Don't be an atheist. And you may be like, well, that seems kind of, I came to church, I don't want to be an atheist. But there are two kinds of atheists. There's the classic atheist, which is someone who doesn't believe there's a God. Although actually, someone who says they don't believe in God, although actually they really do. There is a book written by the title, God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. And that, that's actually true, that, that God has made himself real to every person. And there's enough evidence that we all have that, that there is a God. Um, Romans 1, 18 and 19 says that what can be known about God is plain to all of us because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So, it's, the Bible is telling us that in the creation, and in our conscience also, if you look at this expanded passage, there is evidence of God that cries out that there is a creator, that everyone is without excuse about that. And in America, actually, this category of classic atheists, people who say they don't believe in God, is actually really small. It's only about 3% of Americans who would say that they don't believe that there's a God and another about 4% who would call themselves agnostics. So most people don't fit in the classic atheist category. But the second category is a practical atheist. And a practical atheist is someone who says they believe in God, but actually don't. And this is a category I often find myself in. I say I believe in God, but you know, I found this... Several days ago, I was, I was facing a challenge in my life. And I, it was after about 36 hours of thinking and struggling and trying to figure out, what do I do about this problem? What, how can I address it? There was a lot of anxiety. There was worry. There was problem solving going on. I realized, wait, I've been addressing this whole situation in my life as if there was no God. I've been, I've been trying to fix it by myself. I've been dealing with it as if the only resources that were available to me were my own. And I believe in God, but I might as well not. Because, right, I've been living as if I don't believe in God. And that's, I think, I think if we're honest, that we all find ourselves in that situation a lot of times. I, I read a story this last week. There was a little boy 
who went to church with his family. And on the way home, he started to cry. They were in the car driving home, he started to cry, and his, his parents asked him, Hey, what, what's the matter? Why are you crying? And the little boy said, The pastor said that every child deserves to grow up in a Christian family, in a Christian home. And that's a joke, because they were going to church, they were, they, they were trying to be a Christian family, but there was the, the dichotomy of like, he knew, man, there's a whole lot going on in our family. That's not what a Christian family should be. And that's, if we're honest, that's where a lot, we all are at from, in a lot of our lives. That we say, man, I, I believe in God, I, but there's, there's so much of how we live. And if we look at what are some of the telltale signs of that, well, wherever there's, there's anxiety or worry, we're a practical atheist. Wherever we're striving in our own effort without looking to God, we're being a practical atheist. Wherever there's habitual sin in our life, or whenever we sin, we're being a practical atheist. Whenever there's unforgiveness in our life, we're a practical atheist. Wherever there's bitterness in our life, we're living as an atheist. Wherever there's um, self-pity in our life, we're a practical atheist. So, am I spe- is, there, is this relevant to anybody? Anybody ever find themselves in any of these places? Okay, good. You know, it's funny because, I mean, not good, you know, it's not good because that's not where we want to be, but that's, I'm glad we're talking about something relevant here. It's funny because we, a lot of Christians, if you mention one of the famous atheists out there, like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hutchins, people get irate. It's like, oh man, they're, man, they're like the bane of our existence and we have to do something about that. But then we live much of our life as if there is no God. And we, we barely bat an eye at it. We just, we, we treat it like it's normal. But God has something better for us. And so, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 53, which is a, a psalm that, that David wrote, and it's really about unbelief in God. And so we're going to look at what it looks like when we are not trusting God, when we're not believing God in our life, and kind of break it down. And then we're going to walk through one example in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament of what it looks like when we are putting our trust in God. All right? You follow? So, let's just pray for a second before we dive dive into that. God, thank you that your word is is true. Would you, this morning, make it living and active and speak to us exactly what you want to speak to us. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 53. This is a short psalm. It's six verses. We're going we're gonna to read through it and kind of look at what this says about not trusting in God. Verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. We'll stop there. I'm going to just ask you, let's have a little fun today. What, what do you see? What, what's, what do you see? What does this verse say about the person who doesn't believe in God? This is an easy one. He's a fool. Yeah. It's foolish not to believe in God. We, we won't talk about th- think about that too much because that's kind of depressing. But what else? Anything else you see there? Corrupt. Yeah. We, we become corrupt. Um, that's, and then you can see that there's a connection between not trusting in God and living a, without integrity. And righteousness in our life. 
The last phrase I think is really interesting, and I think this is very relevant to, to most of us. It says, there is no one who does good. And you think about that. Like, well, I see people doing good. I see even people that are, it's actually popular in, in the whole atheist movement right now for atheists to say, you don't have to believe in God to do good things. And there are a lot of atheists that are doing community service and being intentional about being kind and, and making the point that you can separate belief in God from doing good things. And so, so, what, so that is true. There are atheists who smile at people and you know, serve in soup kitchens. And so how can the Bible say there's no one who does good? Well, I think one of the most important marks of our practical atheism is it's marked by self-effort. It's marked by what we are doing is not in partnership with God or relying on Him or looking to Him, but it's just our own efforts and our own strength. Kind of like what I was saying where I, where I found myself with the, the struggle I was, I was in a few days ago. And the Bible is very clear. In, in Romans 14.23, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, whatever, is not, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I think this is one of the most convicting verses in the whole Bible. It says, anything that you and I do that doesn't come from a place of trusting in God, that doesn't come from a place of, of, not, of not having faith in Him, it's not just like, oh, that's not, the, that's, you know, there's a better way. But, no, that, it's sinful. It's actually, when we are not trusting in God, we're in a place of sin. And so much of the good that we do in our own eyes, things that we think are good, things we do that we think are good, are actually not good in God's eyes. There was an editorial in the Manhattan Mercury this, this week. It was, there have been a bunch of writing um, to mark the occasion of Bill Snyder's retirement and this whole transition and really honoring his legacy and, and what he's done. And in, on Monday night, this editorial ran, and there's, there's a quote from it here. I thought it was very interesting about just how, how we think and how, how Manhattan thinks. The editorial says, I don't mean to say that Bill Snyder invented that concept. The concept was the idea that, that uh, the, the, our goal should not just be like reach this, get this many wins or have this level of success, but for Bill Snyder, goal, according to the editorial writer, is constant progress. That today I'm getting, I'm progressing from where I was yesterday. And the day after that, I'm improving from that. And that's nothing bad about any of this. This this is all good stuff. But he goes on to say, in a sense, that idea is the Protestant ethic. The idea that we are all saved by our good works, and therefore we can't really ever stop working. We have to keep working towards salvation. We have to prove it every minute of every day, and prove it all night. Okay, this, is, this, is, this was just prof- very interesting and insightful to me. It's this Because I think this mentality is so pervasive in us and in our community and in our culture. The idea that, hey, to really get ahead in life, you have to just keep, get your nose to the grindstone and just keep on pressing ahead. Just keep on working harder. That's where success comes from. And this, the Mercury not only said that, but it said, this is the Protestant ethic. Now, Protestant, that's, the branch of Christianity that we would consider ourselves part of. 
the Protestant movement started on the foundation that we are saved through faith in Jesus and by grace, not through works. But this totally turned that upside down and said, we are saved by our good works. And like, how could, I mean, they should know better than this. Like, the guy who wrote this went to Harvard University, okay? I mean, this is, this is, how could you get it so wrong? But I started thinking about that more and more. It's like, wow, it's so, that is, that is wild. And actually, if you look at the idea of the Protestant ethic comes from a, the term comes from a book by Max Weber that he wrote about 1900. It talks about the rise of capitalism and the Protestant work, the Protestant ethic. And it's the idea that in the Protestant countries of the world, um, capitalism flourished, and there was economic flourishing, and there was, a, there was a work ethic. And there is a connection between faith in God and working hard. And the Bible says that we're saved by grace, not works, but we're saved, when we are saved, we're saved for good works that God prepared for us. And so when we have an understanding that God has saved us by His grace, He saved us by nothing we do, it's His mercy, he comes in and he changes us and it produces something in us that then we're motivated to work for his glory and according to his power in us. And so there is this, God's grace produces an energy and a motivation and a work ethic in us. But it's easy for us to start with grace and then move into works in our own effort. And I find myself doing this so often. And throughout history, Christians have done this so often. As we start, like, yeah, God, it's your grace, and I love you. Thank you for saving me. And then we move on, and we get stuck in, in our own stuff. And, and when we're doing that, we're, we're living as practical atheists. You know, this whole analysis of the Protestant ethic, what's missing in there? Well, God is missing in there. Now, there's no, it's nothing about God. It's we're saved through our own efforts. There's no need for a Savior. There's no faith in God. It's just about us. And so... Atheism is, practical atheism is, is marked by, by self-effort. Is this making sense? All right. Um, things that start with faith in God easily morph into self-effort. Verse 2 says, God looks down from heavens on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. The second thing that I see here that our, our lack of faith in God is, is demist- it's, we know, it's evident that that's the case. It, when there's prayerlessness in our life. It says here, is that who is seeking for God? Who is looking to God? And when I am going through life without praying, without realizing I need help, I need God, there's, when prayer becomes like, oh, man, that's a chore, that's a burden, oh, I, I really know I, I really should, but I don't have time. That's practical atheism. But when I'm saying, God, I need you, Oh, there is a God, and you are real, and you are near, and you have resources for me, and you have resources for the world. God, I'm just, I'm, I'm coming before you and praying, asking for your help. That's the opposite of, of atheism. So that's probably one of the most telltale signs of my own life is, am I worrying or am I, am I praying? Verse 3 goes on and says, Everyone is turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. Not even one. There's that, that self-effort again. Verse 4, Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. This is kind of interesting. But it talks about devouring 
other people, like you're eating a loaf of bread. Like, what does that have to do with not believing in God? Well, have you noticed that when you're, when you're, reliant, when you're not trusting in God, you can, you can start not treating people very well? That's, I know I do. You can start just, you're so worried, because all of the like, responsibility is on you. Like, I have to take care of my problems. I have to take care of this. That's a heavy weight. And you end up start kind of trampling on people. And are seeing people as a means to your end. Kind of using people. Like eating them up, in a sense. It's like the people around me are pawns to advance my agenda. I know that's, that's so easy. That's, that's what happens when we're not, when we're not trusting in God. Um, verse 5, it's, it goes on. It says, there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. There they are. This is, again, this whole chapter is talking about the fool who's saying in his heart, there is no God. Where does that lead to? Being overwhelmed with dread. Our practical atheism always brings fear, anxiety, and worry. We live in a culture where anxiety is epidemic, where worry is epidemic, where fear is epidemic, and there's not really, compared to other cultures and other parts of the world, we have less reason to be anxious than other people, but we find ourselves more anxious. And I believe a lot of it is because we, we try to live in our own ability, and we were not made to be God. And the weight of being God is too much for us to bear. And if we don't have a God to turn to, if we don't have a God to pray to, when we don't have a God to put our hope in, worry and anxiety, worry is self-prayer. We're just like, oh, these are, we're, we're, we're praying to ourselves. We're repeating the problems and the situations in our own mind over and over again as if we could do something about it. Whereas the design is God has made us to come to Him and bring our requests to Him, bring our challenges to Him and say, God, I need you. Would you help me? And faith in God takes away the anxiety and the worry that, that is so prevalent in our life. And so that's one of the telltale signs in my own life. When I'm feeling anxious, when I'm worrying, it's like, oh, wait, where's my faith? Where's my trust? Is God, is God real in my life? Am I trusting in him? Okay, I, I haven't been. What can I do about that? But there, there is hope. Um, this, this chapter ends in verse 6. David writes, and he says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. And this is his prayer. He's saying, Man, the, there's this foolishness, this atheism, this lack of belief, but God, bring your grace. Let salvation come out of God's people. Zion stands for God's people, it's the, the place where, where God's presence is. God, bring, bring your salvation, bring your, bring your, bring your deliverance. And he does do that. And he's, he's made a way for us to live that way. And I know we are living that way. I just, as we were worshiping this morning, I was like, man, this is going to be, God's made himself so real in our time together. It's hard to talk about atheism. So, man, maybe just put this in the, your back pocket for tomorrow or the next day when, you know, it's a little bit farther away from our time of gathering together. But, you know, 
how do, we, how do we walk this out? I just want to look, like I said, at two stories, two examples. Um, one is, is from 1 Samuel chapter 30, and this is a story of, of David, the guy who wrote that song, that, that psalm. And David really lives this well. He, is, you read, he wrote half the psalms, which are prayers and, and songs of worship to God, and a lot of them, a whole lot of them start out in a place of despair, a place of difficulty, a place where he's not feeling God, a place where he feels overwhelmed. But he has learned to go to God in those places and to, to pour out his heart and his situations before God. And out of that, over and over again, God, God comes through and he, he receives what he needs from the Lord in those places. And and 1 Samuel 30 is an example of that. This was a time when David was not yet king. He was actually an outlaw. The King Saul, the king at the time, wanted to kill him. And so he was, he was on the run for his life. And, but he was trying to serve the purposes of God. And there was a group of people. They were, they were the Bible describes them as a bunch of people who were discontented and people who were in debt and people who had a lot of problems, but they rallied around David and became his, his band, became his army. So it was this, this motley crew that's going around, but they were, they were fighting God's battles and, and serving God, um, fighting, fighting for justice and God's purposes in, in their time. So they'd gone out in some battles, and in, in chapter 30 they came back to their camp. And it says, David, in verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag, where they'd camped on the third day, now the Amalekites had raided the Negev um, and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. So the enemies, their enemies came to the camp where David and his men had gone out fighting. So this other, this, this other army or marauding bands came to this camp and took off their, all their families, their wives, their children, and so they came back, and their, their families were, had been taken. So you can imagine, that would be a very, very difficult situation to come back to. It says in verse 3, When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. In verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Some translations say David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Think about that situation. Like, Wow, that was a dark day. And everybody was overwhelmed with discouragement and sorrow and a sense of, man, there's nothing we can do. This is dark. And they wept until they could weep no more. And David was right there, feeling the same thing everybody else felt. But there was something different about him than everybody else, which was that in that place of of darkness, in that circumstance that was overwhelming and completely dark. David had the ability to turn to God 
and look to him and find encouragement and strength from God's presence. To find hope and strength from his relationship with God and from God being there for him. And he went on and he rallied the men and they went and they, they, they chased the, their enemies and they ended up taking back everything that had been taken from them, plus more. They got some booty in the, in, in the deal. It was a great story. So, I love that, but it, was, it all hinged upon David's ability to trust in God, David's ability to turn to God in that situation. That's where it comes down to us. Is like in those places, in our lives, do we have a relationship with God? Are we choosing to turn to Him and go to Him when we're overwhelmed? Or, 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 or do we not have that ability? The other example I want to look at or illustration is in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is, this is kind of different. This is a familiar passage. But we read, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's Spirit in a person's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do I know if I'm living with faith in God and His presence in my life? Well, it's going to be manifest in the fruit of His Spirit in my life. And I, I read a book recently by Francis Chan. It's called Letters to the Church. It's a very, very inspiring book for me. He talks about this, and he says, you know, we can easily say, we can look at, like, a, a human level of, of kindness or patience or love and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I got the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I, I'm, I'm a good person. But if the level of love and joy and peace and patience in my life is the same as a person who doesn't have a relationship with God. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. There, you, there it is. You're waiting for your moment, Marcel. <laughs> Perfect. If it's the same, then it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's just something human. It's just something normal. But the God kind of fruit of the Spirit should be a whole other level. Mm, yeah, now we're getting good. Should be something dynamically different. Should be a kind of peace and patience and joy that is beyond my ability. And that's, that's a good litmus test. Am I living in the fruit of the Spirit? That really is the fruit of the Spirit. Or am I just feeling like I'm doing pretty good? And God, and that's the promise that, man, God has that for us. That's available for us as we turn to Him, as we trust in Him. So, where do we go from there? I think the question for, for me, for you, for all of us is, where am I living as an atheist? Where am I living as a practical atheist? Where am I not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Where is there unforgiveness or bitterness or being overcome by, by a certain habit or 
unbelief or fear or whatever it would be. In Hebrews 11.6, we're told that without faith it's impossible to please Him. For the one who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. It all comes down to faith. It's, faith is, is trusting in God. It's trusting in who He is and not ourselves. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that if we come to Him, He rewards us. And I know most of the time in, in my toughest moments, turning to God, oftentimes, I don't know if it's most of the time or often, I don't know, a lot of the time, it's not what I feel like doing. It's not what feels like is going to give me what I need. I'm getting more inclined to turn on the TV or find something on Netflix or go try to find something else. A lot of times, like, oh, man, no, I need, yeah, I know there's a God, but I, I, that's, I need something real right now. Like, that's kind of how I feel. But if anyone comes to God, he must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. That the answer to what we need, the answer to our life, is God. And so it's turning to God. And so I want to ask you, like, where is there a place this morning that God's pointing out to you that I am not trusting God in this area of my life? I am a practical atheist in this area of my life. There's an invitation to turn to God. To God, I want to trust you, that you're a rewarder in this area of my life and in all of my life. We're going to actually, um, we're going to, worship together with another song in a minute. Um, but at the end of our service this morning, we're going to have a chance for some ministry time where if you want to come forward and pray with somebody, we're going to have a chance for that to happen. And I would encourage you, if, if there's something in your life, you're like, man, there, this is a place where I have been an atheist, but I want to trust in God. There'll be a chance for you to come forward and pray with someone and really trust God to come through and bring change in that area of your life. If you've never trusted your whole life to God, if you're not yet a Christian, this would be a great chance to come forward and say, I want to trust my life to God and turn to Him and not be an atheist anymore. Um, I just want to pray for us and ask God to help us. So let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your Thank you that you're near. Thank you that you're patient, Lord. God, I just thank you that you, you're so much better towards us than we deserve. You're so much better to me than I deserve. Lord, thank you that you are, that when we turn to you, you're there. You're right there every time. Lord, thank you this morning for all the times you've come through for us. Thank you for all the times you've brought joy, all the times you've brought, brought purpose, all the times you've brought peace, all the miracles, the healings, the provision, situations that we didn't have an answer for but you came through for. Well, thank you for that. Thank you that you're that kind of God. 
Lord, we don't want to go on in areas of our hearts, areas of our lives that are, that are kind of partitioned off from you. Lord, I pray this morning that where there are partitions, that those walls would come down. Lord, we want to invite you into those, those rooms of our heart, those rooms of our life, those places, whether, whether it's through desperation, that we haven't, we've been overwhelmed and not turned to you, or if it's been pride that's kept us from seeing our need and turning from you. Lord, we want to turn from those things, and we want to invite you in. We want to live in a, with faith towards you that honors you and that brings the fullness of you into, into our lives more and more. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are leading us from faith to faith. You're increasing that. I want to give you all the praise and the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We can go ahead and stand up and we're going to worship God with this song here. Now, before we jump into this, um, 